Hi, Thomatics. Thanks for tuning in. We have a very special guest, and I am just so happy to have him on the show today. We have Jude Gerard Press. He's also Italian, like me. And Jude is an award winning writer, director, showrunner, and producer. And he's known for some of his world famous interviews. Um, interviewing kings, queens, even Prince Charles and Charles Manson and voodoo, sh voodoo chiefs and serial killers and celebrities. We'll learn more about that because I want to learn about his amazing grand jury prize for best screenplay at Film Invasion Los Angeles International Film Festival and some of the stuff he's working on. So let's welcome Jude Gerard Press to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Jude, you had to first tell everyone, like, okay, uh, I asked you about your last name. Can you tell us about yes. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my last name is Prest. My legal last name is Prest, but it's uh, it was shortened uh, from Prestigiacomo. My uh, grandparents were Sicilian, came over from Palermo, Sicily. And when my grandfather came over, he was on the last... Uh, boat before Ellis Island opened. The original uh, port was New Orleans uh, for the West Coast and San Francisco for the East Coast. Or, I'm sorry, for the uh, West Coast was San Francisco and, and uh, uh, New Orleans was the original port for uh, East Coast. And uh, uh, he was on the last uh, boat um, before Ellis Island opened. And when they came over, they would typically uh, come in and you know just have their names shortened or whatever and ours were shortened to pressed but it is uh um originally prestigiacomo uh, and apparently there's a little village somewhere near palermo that is called prestigiacomo i've yet to find it but uh, uh that's what i've been told oh amazing so yeah we're so happy to have you and um can you let our audience know because they're so amazing we have audience all around the world where you are recording live on our lovely wi-fi today <laughs> Yeah, I live in the, the Los Angeles area. I've uh, been here for about 30 years. I'm originally from Louisiana, uh, um, Shreveport, Louisiana, northern Louisiana. Um, but I uh, lived, uh, I went to school in Boston and Ohio and then uh, uh, for theater, film and TV and then uh, um, was in New York doing theater uh, for a few years and then uh, out here for God, 25, 30 years now. Wow. Um, well, let's 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 find out how you had your incredible journey from Louisiana to being uh, a showrunner, executive producer, director and writer um, for some of your most. Uh, the series that people probably know you for is Deadliest Warrior for Spike TV and Ocean Mysteries with Jeff Corwin. And um, also you've done so many things on Animal Planet. But I want to ask you, growing up, what was one of your favorite childhood films that you remember? Well, look, as a kid, I loved all of the, you know, uh, Disney live actions, Herbie the Love Bug, uh, Escape to Witch Mountain, all the old Kurt Russells, and who doesn't love Kurt Russell, right? Uh, uh, all the old Dexter Riley Kurt Russells, Now You See Me, Now You Don't, Computer Word Tennis Shoes, Barefoot Executive, I really love those. But I, I got to tell you, the, the films that really shaped me um, were films that I probably shouldn't have been seeing at that age, which was my, my dad was a very quiet Sicilian guy, didn't talk much, died very young. So, I, I, you know, uh, when I was, I think, 19 or 20. Um, but 
one thing we sort of eat, they, my mom and dad owned these mom and pop Italian grocery stores and cafes and stuff like that. And they worked in the stores 18, 19 hours a day sometime. But my dad would take me to movies that, like I said, I probably should had no business being in at that age, but he would take me and that's how we bonded. So from a very early age, the movies I was seeing and, and really shaped a lot of my love of, of cinema and, and, and filmmaking and ultimately made me want to be an actor and all that was you know, The Godfather, The Exorcist, The Omen, Mean Streets, James Bond, The Graduate, stuff like that. And The Godfather, which you can see, uh, well, you can't see because it's not on video, but behind me I have a Godfather poster, is my sort of all-time favorite movie because I think that is a movie that my father and I saw, you know, tons of times together. And it has always just stuck with me as, not on its justice merits as a, as a film, but just that memory of my dad and I really going to see that you know, uh, several times then Godfather two after that, um, of just that sort of bonding and then having that Sicilian heritage in my background and all that stuff too, you know, certainly didn't hurt, but, but those were the films that really shaped me as a, what I would ultimately become as, as a filmmaker and in my interest and, and that, you know, those, those are the ones that really stick with me. Although I still love the old Dexter Riley's. I just watched computer 10 wore tennis shoes, uh, uh, about a week ago. Oh, wow. And when you said Herbie the Love Bug, I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, I remember that. And what about It's a Mad, Mad World? Oh, <laughs> what great movie. Yeah, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Great, uh, amazing, you know. I mean, that was a film where everybody in the world was in that film for that time. And, yeah, it's just a, an amazing film. And, and when you were talking about how your dad took you there, it just, it just you know, brings back those cherished memories that films – were a place where you you did you did have special memories as a kid like when you said escape to witch mountain i remember that too yeah, like, oh, yeah. i just remember being there with your those happy times you didn't have to worry about rent or covid or anything like that yeah <laughs> or what you had yeah. to be when you grew up you could just enjoy a film with other people in the movie theater just hoping no one sat taller than you in front of you <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely so speaking uh, of i wanted to ask you um uh you know, you are a producer, writer, director, actor, uh, showrunner. So was there uh, a Criterion film that perhaps inspired you even further to go into filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, um, once I got into high school, you know, I always fantasized sort of. I was kind of a heavy kid, and I was always sort of the class clown, and I was funny, class clown, and I was funny, but I was, I was pretty shy. And uh, I, I, I was shy in groups, you know, there would always be the one person that sort of was the center of attention. I was not that guy, but I was funny one-on-one or in writing or in sketches or things like that. Um, but I was not the guy that was the big, bold, you know, out there, look at me, I'm funny sort of guy. Um, but I was, you know, I had a lot of friends, but I was pretty shy. And I worked at movie theaters all through high school. And the the movies that really stuck with me during that era, um, you know, Jaws, Star Wars, I mean, I think I would see them over and over and over and over again because I could because I worked at the theater. And, uh, you know, all those movies that kind of in, in that sort of period of the 70s, uh, um, you know, I really loved. And then what really got me sort of out of my shell and, and into performing and all that was the Blues Brothers. Um, oh, I was yeah. hugely popular. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were doing the Blues Brothers. It was hugely popular. The movie came out 
And I sort of decided to freak everybody out by uh, breaking out of my shell and saying, hey, I want to do the talent show. Now, I had never done anything on a stage or in front of people. I said, I want to impersonate the Blues Brothers. And it was a pretty good mimic. And and um, and so I pulled a band together from my you know high school uh, pals and and uh, we did the whole thing and I we it became so popular um, doing we did four or five songs we played our high school talent show and then it became so popular that we were invited to like five or six other high school talent shows. And then ended up getting a little bit of a nightclub act where we would be sort of snuck into this bar in downtown Shreveport at night, play, uh, uh, you know, three or four songs and then ushered out because we were too young to actually be in the bar. Um, And that was the, you know, it was that where I really went, oh, man, like, you know, it was just that feeling of being accepted and the applause and all that stuff of, you know, coming from this very shy kid. Uh, that, you know, suddenly it's like, whoa, I'm like center stage and it's fun. And, uh, and, uh, that really shaped, like, this is what I want to do. Um, but those, those movies from the seventies, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a card carrying Comic-Con collector nerd. You know, I have, uh, probably 2000 original movie posters uh, that I've collected since high school, you know, uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, every kind of action figure. And I've just been collecting forever memorabilia, props, things like that. And, and it's those movies that really shape me. Jaws, Star Wars. Um, obviously, I'll always keep going back to The Godfather and those great movies, The Conversation and stuff that, that those directors and producers out of the 70s were doing. I mean, I love classic movies. And, you know, if you ask me my list of favorite movies, you'll find a lot of movies from the 30s and 40s on there and 50s but the the era that really sticks with me is that period of the 70s when you know this group of filmmakers were sort of allowed to do what they wanted to do and you were getting an amazing genre for every an amazing film that that has stood the test of time for every every genre you know jaws star wars empire strikes back conversation godfather godfather 2 back to the future american graffiti planet of the apes which was 69 but the ones that followed dog day afternoon the sting butch cast i mean you, you could go on and on and on blazing saddles young frankenstein which happens to be my favorite comedy um the exorcist the deer hunter raiders every genre had its classic that still holds up to this day and i don't know that you can necessarily say that about a lot of errors other than when you go back to maybe the 30, you know, 39, 40, uh, uh, or fifties, you know, but so the, and obviously the 60, I mean, every era has their great films, but for me, the seventies was just that era right before everything got corporate and filmmakers were able to really just do their vision and some great, great stuff came out of it. And because that's where I was right in the heyday of working in the theaters, uh, and having access to all of that repeatedly, I would see it was not, unheard of for me to see a movie you know 20 30 times wow that's amazing yeah so so you're a boy in shreveport louisiana watching yep. amazing films working in the theater yep. so in the theater you were able to watch these right so that was one of the benefits and bonuses yes. that's amazing yes. yeah and uh, my dad is from louisiana my last name is Aber. So oh, we have awesome. a lot of we're italian and we're you know you know so we are i think our love of films is very clear and your love of films is extraordinary and you pick some good ones. And like, I love it because like our audiences are like, oh, your guests, you know, recommend and talk about such great films they never heard of. And I saw them and they're so great. So 
um, our audience will probably go check out some of the films that you awesome. mentioned. Yeah. You know, like American Graffiti, like that's a good oh, one too, right? Such a great film. Such a great film. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. It, and then, you know, you look at just the number of people that came out of that film, Ron Howard and Harrison Ford and, and uh, you know, uh, um, Richard Dreyfus And I mean, the list of people that were in that film, you know, that would go on to have amazing careers is phenomenal. And, and uh, yeah, and there was also a very, uh, which I try to do today, there was also just a very collaborative effort, you know. Coppola was giving, you know, was helping Lucas and Lucas and Spielberg were partnering up on stuff. And there was just this very collaborative effort that, I, you know, I, I don't, it still happens, obviously, but I don't think as much as that period where it was just, you know, everybody was kind of in the same boat and they were pulling for each other to do the the best, you know, their their crazy visions, you know. Well, we'll just have to make it um, make it um, happen again. Like we'll just have to help yes. each other because connect, yes. connecting. I think a lot of people connected over COVID on Zooms and Wi-Fi, yes. and um, a lot of people, you know, <clears throat> were, was were hungry for work. Not like hungry, but they 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 want to work. I mean, it was such a yeah, lonely, absolutely. a lonely, depressing place. So a lot of people were like, let's just do something. Let's come together and do something. Whether it's you know podcast or. Uh, radio uh, noir series, which, you know, uh, I got people to do this beautiful film noir drama series on thrilling stories called Identity Theft. So people came together and I think people are wanting to come together and connecting. So I, so let, I'm just going to cheer everyone to let, yes, let's pull together and help one another because at the end of the day, you know, it's helping one another. You can like boost someone up that could be the next, you know, Coppola or, Spielberg and then you know then he can give you work or she can give you work <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely and there's a few things out there now that are kind of helping to do that there's a app that I kind of was resistant to at first but then a buddy of mine a, a collaborator a writing partner of mine uh, got me into a clubhouse which uh, they have a lot of filmmaker forums and and through that you know I've I've connected with uh, a couple of uh, uh, filmmakers and things like that that I wouldn't have normally who've done some you know nice stuff so it's a it's a way to get on and just have a conversation about topics that you love. And, and then, you know, there's a way after if there's interest that you can connect with each other and stuff like that. So that's been a really cool, cool thing to jump on. And you really, you, you know, I, I try not to go it on as, as uh, that often because you go down a rabbit hole where you're on it for hours, you know, but, uh, but it's a, it's a really cool, uh, that's been a really cool thing. And then just, you know, Facebook and all the stuff, uh, LinkedIn and everything has been a great equalizer for kind of reaching out to people that, you know, you respect or might want to work with or might want to collaborate with. So that's been really good, too. Yeah, wonderful. So um, I want to ask, is there, uh, well, you touched on some amazing directors. So I'm going to yeah, ask yeah. you, since you also direct and showrun and you write, is there a favorite scene in a movie and you can share that scene and then the directing shot with us? Yes. And look, there are many you can go, you know, it's a wonderful life. It happened one night uh, is another one of my favorite uh, comedies. Citizen Kane, Castle. I mean, again, you could go on and on Wizard of Oz and, you know, all of that you could go on. I, I think for me, if you ask for a scene and I, I probably always end up going back to The Godfather, if you ask, you know, what's your favorite movie, even though there are many that I love, I always say The Godfather. If you ask me my favorite scene, it's also from The Godfather, but I think it's one of the most brilliantly edited scenes of all time. And that is um, in the christening scene, uh, Michael Corleone, 
uh, is uh, has been asked to be godfather to his sister's baby. Uh, and they're in this cathedral with the bishop doing the baptism. And he's doing this whole thing of, do you reject Satan? I do. Do you, you know, reject evil? I do. And intercut with that, do you reject Satan, is all of the murders that he's ordered to kill all of the heads of the five families. And the way it's edited together and the music and the, the performances and just the package of it, I think, is one of the most brilliantly edited scenes in cinema. And it just this dichotomy of, you know, cutting back between this hypocrisy of, of the good and evil that, you know, uh, while he is renouncing Satan, he's having all these murders committed. It is just a very powerful scene that sticks out to me as, as one of the most uh, brilliantly edited of all time. Yeah, amazing. That, that reminds me. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it reminds me that there's a little bit of good and bad in all of us, but hopefully, right, right. hopefully we choose to, to have more good come out of us because <laughs> this world is, is full of good, bad, and hopefully we can all make it and uh, get over these obstacles because people are having a hard time right now. And but yeah. the good thing is like the streaming, it's opened more doors for I think more people because we need more content and uh, to have like brilliant directors and filmmakers like you said like the Godfather, the Coppolas, the Spielbergs, and Spielbergs, there's, there's, yeah. there's so many wonderful ones. So I'm going to ask you, um, since you write and you act, is there a favorite scene that you would have loved, maybe have loved to written or a line from a movie that you love? God, I mean, who wouldn't want to be, you know, Hooper in Jaws or, or you know, or, or, or Han Solo or Indiana Jones? I mean, I look, I, you know, it's funny because I used to go, before I guess I matured or whatever, you know, I, I would go to movies and there was almost a sadness because a, a film would come up, you know, Close Encounters or The Conversation or Dog Day Afternoon or whatever it was. And I, it would almost make me sad because I knew I wasn't a part of that. And, and, you know, it was, it was a, a thing that just hit me. And then you just, you know, when you grow a little older and you start to really, you just appreciate the performance and you appreciate the, the work that goes into it. And uh, um, I don't know, you know, I mean, you could pick just about anything from Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or, you know, or, or, the Godfather or Jaws or any of the Star Wars. And I would go, man, I would love to have just, you know, been sitting at the table in the cantina for that, you know, if, if I had the chance. I mean, those, there are so many, but I think, I think those iconic sort of characters sit with me that, man, you know, it's like, you can't think of anybody else doing those roles that, that have done them, but you go, man, would I have loved a shot, you know, if, 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 the timing were right now or of the right age or whatever it's i don't know they're just i think you can look at so many things and go you know that's that's a role i would have loved or that's just a film i would have loved to have been associated with you know <laughs> yeah every 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 girl i think or guy uh, these days you know i i'm in a generation where um <laughs> a different generation but uh breakfast at tiffany's we're all like pitching ourselves right. as holly go lightly but uh but you know even you know like since girls don't you were just starting to have action movies but um and, and it's so competitive for anyone there's just so many people to choose from that like you know only that one person gets that the league you know so right but uh you know like indiana jones like you said or han solo like oh my god if you were a guy you'd have so much fun doing those or james bond right <laughs> yeah james bond oh i mean who doesn't you know yeah as a as a 
well, who am I kidding? As an adult, it's like, you know, to, to man to, to be James Bond, you know, and, and, you know, here's the other thing that I love about it. You look at something like, you know, Apollo 13 or any of that, where it's like, or a, a great Western, you get to literally be in that, you know, when they filmed Apollo 13, they got to go up in space and do weightlessness, do the vomit comet thing and be weightless for, and, you know, you get to sort of experience that that you know I'm, I'm never gonna get to go into space i mean you know so it, to, to be able to do the stuff that you get to do when you're doing film or tv or even great theater that experience of really being able to you know step into those shoes and wear those you know costumes and and be that person or be that from an actor point of view and, and, and a director point of view as well. Those are the, it's just, you know, you get to really, as I said, you know, done all non-scripted stuff, documentary stuff, you get to sort of step behind the velvet line and really live in that person's shoes and that era and that time and that world and have those experiences that, that you would never have in your normal life, you know? So I think that's, one thing that was always so appealing to me about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, you certainly uh, made a beautiful career for yourself. And uh, I oh, want to just, uh, so um, yeah, because uh, I want to ask you, so um, we'll, we'll probably uh, do uh, part two pretty soon, but we will start, you kind of mentioned on your journey how you started. You, um, you did you go to theater? You went to theater school, right? On, on Louisiana? <laughs> Yes. So I had actually started acting in Louisiana. I was doing local plays and I was doing, I'd actually done a couple of movies, uh, 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 Southern Comfort with Powers Booth and Keith Carradine, Walter Hill film had shot in Louisiana and I had a little part in that. And, and then, uh, my mom, uh, again, knew, you know, my family knew nothing about the entertainment business, but my parents were extremely supportive. I was really blessed to have them be very supportive of me going, I want to be an actor, you know? And, and my mom had found a uh, great summer theater institute in Boston, Boston University Summer Theater Institute, where you could go for six or eight weeks uh, and, and do this intensive acting study. And, uh, you know, they put me on a train and I went there and then I got a scholarship to BU and studied uh, uh, film and television. I always studied theater, uh, but then I would also do film and television classes there. And then uh, I was on scholarship, and the scholarships about my second year ended up getting kind of uh, um, wiped out a little bit. Uh, there was a, a lot of scholarships were cut back, so we just couldn't afford it at the time. So a buddy of mine was going to a school called Wright State in Dayton, Ohio, which at the time uh, had one of the top 10 theater schools in the country, still is a highly reputable. Um, matter of fact, Tom Hanks is a big supporter of the school and has lent his name to one of the buildings. Um, and he, uh, and, and, and so I ended up uh, getting a scholarship to go there and finish there. And ultimately it was a great decision because, uh, I met the school held auditions for theater jobs after graduation. And I ended up, um, uh, um, getting a, a job, uh, in New York, uh, with a theater company, ended up doing a lot of theater in New York, touring and and uh, um, plays, and you know, every I was doing all kinds of really cool shows, everything from children's theater to you know Horatio and Hamlet to Lenny and of Mice and Men to whatever, and uh, um, 
so started there and then I was there for about two and a half years and was offered a, another contract, but I decided I wanted to do Hollywood and I knew it would be a ramp up of time. So I came out, uh, moved out to Hollywood around 88. I was doing a show around I moved out initially around 86, 87. Did you come and, out yourself? Uh, you, did you drive? Did you drive across country? I did. I drove, uh, I drove, uh, I drove back home to Louisiana to kind of load up a Toyota Tercel hatchback at the time <laughs> and then moved out to LA. Uh, and a buddy of mine came with me and we kind of made the road trip across and, uh, uh, lived in a, a little tiny apartment in North Hollywood with two other guys to start with, uh, uh, for about the first year or so. Um, but, uh, but I was out here for just maybe about six months, and then the show that I, one of the shows that I'd done in New York, which was a huge success, called The Crate, very funny show by Shel Silverstein, got picked up again to do kind of a by popular demand sort of thing. And so I went back out to New York for a little while to do that again and tour, and then um, really came back about 80 late 88 or so here for for kind of good 88 89 uh and i've been here ever since uh now i've gone all over the way i've shot i've overseen shows now in six continents and around 90 countries so i travel i have traveled extensively with projects but my base has been here since yes nine i guess wow so uh shreveport uh shreveport jude press comes from you you go to New York and do this hit by uh, I, I, I everyone probably you know I don't know if they're familiar with Shell Silverstein he's the one that did um those kids books right uh, where the sidewalk ends and uh, yeah we were we started it at a company called uh, the Merry-Go-Round Playhouse in upstate New York and then toured in the city and then all around uh, the East Coast for uh, six months or so it was a great we were sold out every night it was if i played 17 different characters in it i have a, a one thing that happened also while i was at wright state is um <clears throat> i formed with a great group of friends who were still all friends to this day um sketch comedy and improv group so we were doing a lot of sketch comedy and improv as well and touring and we had played in new york um we had played a lot of the comedy clubs in new york and toured around and and that was a Great. So, you know, that was a great uh, uh, learning ground for doing tons of characters and multiple characters. And when I'd auditioned for The Crate, um, you know, it was uh, basically five actors, six actors that played tons of roles. And uh, I think I ended up, I think I have 17 different characters in that, uh, you know, from a New York genie to Santa to little kids to you know whatever so uh um that was that show was a blast still one of my most fun theater experiences ever and i've done many many and had great theater experiences but that was just a fun fun show to do you costume can. show from hell it would i'd have to go from a full santa outfit to a genie outfit in you know 20 seconds but um but so much fun um but yeah shell did uh, where the sidewalk ends and the missing uh Peace and the Giving Tree, the great, uh, you know, fun children's. Um, uh, you know, he was an interesting, interesting guy. Um, but uh, I'd actually, I've actually been trying to bring that show out to the West Coast for decades. But he had a clause in his contracts originally. I don't know if it still is, 
uh, that uh, he would not allow his plays to be performed on the West Coast. I guess he had a real thing about uh, California or whatever, so he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. But that may have changed now. I don't know. But um, but it was funny because the uh, uh, head of the company uh, and I talked about trying to bring it out here for years. Oh, well, maybe, well, maybe with our audience, they can cheer you on. Like if our audience likes it, please give five star reviews and say, we want the crate to come to the West Coast. Because sometimes, you know, the audiences can like really make a difference when they want something. And I, I have to ask you, so you played a genie and a Santa and little kids. Can you share any of those lines with us a little bit? Or do you remember? Yeah, there's a, no, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a um, really funny, uh, poignant, the, the show is funny because it's part musical part sketch i mean it's all like vignette sketches uh and some are very just out there and some are just poignant and some are, but there's this one that uh um is called santa uh, santa comes to death row and it's santa is getting a little senile and <laughs> confuses names on his list uh, uh an eight-year-old boy that wants a tricycle with a death row inmate that wants a full pardon and so he ends up bringing this tricycle to this inmate in, in death row, who at the end of the sketch you know, is riding off to his uh, execution on this little tricycle. And Santa does this big soliloquy speech at the end of, you know, uh, and, it, and it literally is this monologue that goes on for a while, you know, uh, you know, is life certain? What did I need this big philosophical speech? And at the end, he just goes, I don't know. And it's that's the end of the sketch. It's like, you know, so there really is no answer to, uh, you know, meaning of life in a way. It's just sort of, you know, uh, things happen the way they happen. You know, and and uh, um, and uh, this death row prisoner ends up riding off to his execution on this tricycle because Santa was a little senile and confused, you know, the things. And it's. I played a, a, a Jack in the Box uh, well, well, who pops gonna, up. We're gonna end. We're gonna end part one, yeah. so that we can come back and find all the spectacular shows that Jude Gerard Press is um, show running, producing uh, his award-winning scripts. So come back to join us for part two with Jude Press. Thank you, everyone.